Welcome to Hit The Real, the podcast where we talk about the entertainment that we consume and what we really think about it. I am one of your hosts, Michael, and um, I have to say that I'm probably, uh, you know, time to play the game. I'm ready to do this. And joining me this week uh, is my co-host, uh, longtime friend and uh, the original uh, sexy boy, uh, Jesse. How you doing, Jesse? I'm, I'm good, man. I'm good. I I don't remember ever being referred to as the original sexy boy before. So, wow, I I should have used that more, I think. <laughs> I mean, I think Nat probably refers to you as that, right? I, I mean, <laughs> yes, but usually it goes back to that song and then it just turns into something humorous. So I don't think <laughs> it's ever used for sexy purposes, if you know well, what I mean. I, did, I wasn't using it for sexy purposes. Oh, good. That would have been awkward. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, and I think um, those that are in the know, um, this episode, uh, based on those two little uh, jokes there, is going to be another uh, you-led uh, wrestling episode because some big stuff has recently happened in the wrestling world that you wanted to talk about. So uh, is that, that's correct, right? That is 100% correct. And I hadn't planned on doing another one of these so soon. I think, uh, you know, although I am more than happy to have a forum where we can talk about this type of stuff, uh, you know, there's a lot of content out there that is consumed and, you know, wrestling doesn't necessarily need to be a recurring theme on this show. But as you've said, some things have gone down recently that I think were worth talking about so here we are and more than happy to lead you into the fray my friend if you're ready yeah no dude i'm totally ready uh take it away so the big event we will say um that i think led to you know having another one of these so soon was the return to pro wrestling of one cm punk who emerged on the scene um, when we were in high school and has been one of the bigger wrestling stars uh, during our formative years. And his return was not something that I ever really expected to see. And we'll get into why in a little bit on that. But he debuted a couple of weeks ago on All Elite Wrestling's Friday night show uh aw rampage as a full-time wrestler um and we'll cover that part as well but i think to truly capture why you know this is such a big deal and why i felt the need to bump up another wrestling episode to this slot i think we're, we're gonna need to go through some background on his career with the wwe uh to provide some uh, much needed context, especially for those of you who are not wrestling fans and even for you wayward fans who have not been, you know, keeping an eye on things for some time now. Um, I'm excited to be discussing this with you, Michael. As as I said, Punk emerged when we were watching together in high school, and you will probably recall some of this, um, but other info will be new. And it's just really 
a truly fascinating behind the scenes story of, you know, how badly the things we love uh, can get messed up and how, how far they can go off the rails. Kind of like, you know, before when we were doing our adaptation episode, when we were talking about all the shenanigans that took place behind the Mario Brothers movie, where something that could have been good was a complete and utter disaster. So <laughs> those stories <laughs> just always resonate with me. And I think are just, you know, because, wow, these so-called experts just truly fucked this all up. And that's a good segue to, you know, just kind of underscoring that WWE as a company and the products that they offer can be very difficult to watch sometimes, even for me as a lifelong fan, um, because they can never truly seem to get out of their own way. And they tend to make the same mistakes over and over again. I call them mistakes. I'm sure they would disagree because, you know, they are very much of it's their way or the highway type mindset. So there's that. Um, I don't really care so much about the brands or the company's accomplishments. I don't care about their pay-per-view watch numbers. I don't care about how many followers they have on Instagram or on their YouTube channel, which they fucking love to tout all the goddamn time, you know, et cetera. There are enough talented guys and gals in that company still, uh, more so probably than they've ever had, uh, that remind me of why I love this stuff in the first place. And that's, you know, as frustrating as it can be, makes it worth it for me to at least, you know, keep up with what's going on. Because that's, you know, at the end of the day, that's what this is all about, right? For any of this content that we consume, we like to see something that is done so well that you know it takes us back to those those childhood days if you will where we kind of fell in love with all this stuff you know to begin with so i would say that no one has reignited my passion for pro wrestling more in the past 10 years than cm punk and that's why we're here so who is this guy well some of his traits um he adheres to in his real life and as a wrestling character a straight edge lifestyle so he doesn't drink he doesn't smoke doesn't do drugs you know doesn't do any of that um and he was heavily influenced by punk rock growing up is still a big time punk rock guy so i think there's some connection between that lifestyle and, you know, punk rock as a whole. So that's where that comes from. He's also an everyman. Um, he's someone the audience can relate to because in a lot of ways, he just seems like a normal guy and not a larger than life figure or superhero. So as opposed to a Hulk Hogan or The Rock or a John Cena, guys who very much fit that prototypical WWE superstar mold of larger than life. He's, you know, more of, you know, just someone that you might be friends with or that, Oh, that guy reminds me of me. I'm that guy. Maybe like a stone cold Steve Austin type things. Um, he was heavily influenced growing up by Rowdy Roddy Piper. 
because Piper always was a guy, and this is a quote from Punk, of which we'll have several of those in this episode, but that he was not the biggest guy, but he had the biggest mouth. And Punk realized, oh, nobody likes him. That's me. I'm Rowdy Rowdy Piper. So that is where that came from. Also influenced by Harley Race, an old school champion from the National Wrestling Alliance in the 1980s. You know, one of those, you know, old tough guy type wrestlers. Um, Punk adopted the moniker or adhered to the moniker during his, you know, time as a top wrestling star of what would Harley Race do in this situation. And that kind of guided a lot of his decision making for what he was trying to do with his career. Also, he worked with Eddie Guerrero when he was going through the independent wrestling scene. And to quote Punk, he thought that he, you know, was really getting a hang of this whole wrestling thing and, you know, becoming quite good. And then he wrestled Eddie Guerrero and he thought to himself, holy crap, am I bad? Because Guerrero, of course, being one of the more naturally talented guys who has come through the industry um, was somebody that, you know, basically is like, you think you're good, but, you know, here's the next level that you can get to. So that was a big deal for him. He also had a huge rivalry with Samoa Joe and Ring of Honor, which was the independent wrestling company that he performed under before WWE. Uh, Samoa Joe, of course, <clears throat> went on to be a star in TNA wrestling and Impact uh, before making his own way to WWE and is at this time the current NXT champion in WWE. So that was, you know, one of the things that kind of helped mold him as he was going through uh, his wrestling journey. So now we'll start going through some specific dates here. And Michael, I do have some spots here where I will pull you in uh, so we can ask you if you have any thoughts or reactions to anything, because some of this shit is pretty insane. <laughs> but uh, if you do have anything spur of the moment, feel free to jump in, cut me off and, uh, you know, share that with our listeners, because I feel like they'll you're kind of their proxy through all this for those that are not as into wrestling or as you know or as hyper focused on this type of stuff so yeah and i mean i do have to say uh i agree with you on as you were describing him that like the everyman um i i think that's why i i really enjoyed him when he kind of hit that scene i remember him getting into the the being the ECW champion during that like time frame in our high school years, uh, where I really thought I was like, man, I love this guy. He's great. He's cool. Um, and I think it was that kind of, he, he has such a particular charismatic attitude mm -hmm. that I think it just lends so nicely to that. Every man, the public figure, the, uh, I, I remember him like he sits a lot in the ring and I feel like that's such a, it's so, it controls such power with such an easy movement and such a simple movement that it just, he just stuck out to me in so many different ways. Also, I loved the ECW um, 
stuff too so that i mean when he was the champion that was like yeah so <laughs> but yeah absolutely absolutely also the thing he used to do pre-match when he was waiting well he would like rotate his wrists and we always joked oh he's cm punk and he does this and <laughs> him and him didn't look nearly as good but. no it was like a it was like kind of like a rate like a rave thing i feel like yeah uh, that was like yeah <laughs> i remember that too yeah <laughs> good times good times mm. well again anytime you want to chime in feel free um, but i do have some spots here just to check in and see what your thoughts are so it's not just me just talking in to avoid for the next you know hour plus or whatever so <laughs> But our CM Punk WWE journey begins uh, in August 13th of 2005. Uh, Punk was finishing up in Ring of Honor. Uh, he had just signed his WWE contract. And as tends to be the case when you sign with WWE, you're typically not permitted to work anywhere else. So you, if you're an independent wrestler, you then have to finish up any obligations and then part ways. So he was doing that and he described Ring of Honor um, in this quote here it was one of the funnest times of my career. I love this place because it was one of the first times in my career where I saw my hard work pay off. And that will be kind of a running theme throughout his journey here. He was supposed to be a heel, uh, i.e. a bad guy as he was finishing up in Ring of Honor, um, but if you watch the clip of his last match, you can see he's very emotional on screen. The crowd is chanting his name, despite the fact that he is not supposed to earn that type of reaction from the live audience, because they respected and appreciated his work so much. And as he describes it, he is leaving pro wrestling for world wrestling entertainment because Vince McMahon is very steadfast in that he is in the sports entertainment business and not in the professional wrestling business. So Sam Punk goes there and he winds up in the developmental program, uh, which at the time was known as uh, OVW, um, Ohio Valley Wrestling. And at the time that's, program was run by one Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman, of course, being the mastermind slash architect of both the original ECW, uh, the third like alternative to WWE and WCW in the 1990s, and a version of ECW under the WWE banner, which is what we saw when we were in high school. Um, Paul Heyman described <laughs> Punk's arrival in this company. I think, again, this will be another running theme, but he says, no one in WWE ever knew what to do with CM Punk. Punk admitted he knew going in that it was going to be rough for someone like him to become a star in WWE. Uh, so this is all prefacing you know, some th recurring things that will pop up here. August 1st, 2006, uh, CM Punk debuts on the revived ECW, which is also run by Paul Heyman. Uh, Heyman had been badgering and pestering the higher-ups of WWE to get this guy 
up on the main roster on Raw or SmackDown for some time. And they just, for whatever reason, would not do it. So when Heyman was given control of ECW under WWE, uh, CM Punk was his first pick for a new star that he wanted to showcase there because he wanted to prove just how good this guy was. Moving forward to November 26th, 2006, uh, we are at the Survivor Series pay-per-view. Survivor Series is one of the main four shows that WWE does each year. And the theme of the pay-per-view is elimination-based tag team matches, as opposed to a normal two-on-two tag team match where the first pinfall or submission for either team uh, will get that team the win in that case. Uh, Elimination tag is usually consisting of teams of four or teams of five, and each pinfall or submission will just eliminate that person on that particular team. And the match will typically go until all team members on one side have been eliminated. So at this year's Survivor Series, uh, team Degeneration X forming their roster of five guys. Of course, team DX, of course, is comprised of Shawn Michaels and Triple H, um, one of the more popular and infamous uh, factions slash teams in the company's history. (laughs) Uh, They're teaming with, and it's important to point out that United this year, and it was one of the better things happening in WWE uh, up to that point. Um, They were teaming with the Hardy Boys, Jeff and Matt, who had also just gotten back together this same year. Also, one of the more uh, accomplished slash famous teams in the company's history. Hey, Jesse, do you mind if I break in real quick here? No. Uh, Just... For those that don't know, who who is the Generation X? Like, you know, I know who they are because it was a bit like you said, it was a big time for us. But just kind of who they are and what a little bit of I think of that would help people understand why it was so big. Sure. I, I thought I added that. Um, but uh, Shawn Michaels and Triple H were mm-hmm. the founding members of the original DX back in the late 1990s. Um, they were... Not solely responsible, but in a lot of ways responsible for ushering in the attitude era of WWE, um, telling people, you know, doing the crotch chop sign, telling people to suck it, getting into all kinds of shenanigans. Basically, you know, these two grown men, you know, acting like college rebels, essentially. Um, And it just turned into this huge act and was one of the more again popular stable slash teams uh in the company um and then with the way the storylines worked out and the timing of both of their careers uh, those two guys wound up reuniting um in 2006 Um, but this time you know solely as a a babyface team very much uh, (laughs) perfect thank you i just you you did say a little bit about him i just was like oh probably a little bit more backstory I feel like will help the the, the going forward. Yeah. I mean, essentially going into this, you would assume, well, they're the stars of the team basically. So they, they should have, you know, the most 
uh, the most passionate reaction from the fans, if you will. Um, the fifth member of this team, of course, was CM Punk. Uh, the show was taking place in Philadelphia, which was the old ECW stomping grounds. And ECW fans were infamous for their knowledge of the independent wrestling scene because a lot of those guys wound up in ECW before moving on to greener pastures and either WWE or WCW. So they knew who guys like Punk were before they got to the big show. And as this team is being introduced and they're all standing in the ring, the fans are just loudly, like raucously chanting for CM Punk, not any of the other guys, just CM Punk. And this was the first sign to the general WWE audience, the casual fan base, of that there was something special about this guy. Um, for us, too, I think ECW hadn't been on for too, too long at that point. So we were still becoming familiar with some of these new faces. And that, I think, to me and I think to our friends was like, oh, well, that's probably somebody we should pay more attention to. So with that in mind, Michael, do you have any favorite memories of punk beyond what you've already shared that you would like to recap here? Anything else that stood out to you about him? Um, I don't think there was anything. And I'm just checking to make yeah. sure. It's like if you have, if you don't I, have anything, we'll just keep going. I, I feel like I re um, that match wasn't against um, Randy Orton and uh, Edge. Am, yeah. am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, at the time, uh, DX was feuding against Randy Orton and Edge, who had formed the team rated RKO. <laughs> okay, all right. So, okay, I'm not crazy. Good. Okay. Um, not, not about that. Anyways. Not about that. Good. Um, <laughs> I so I, I remember that match. I do remember him like getting like because I don't remember him from pre. I like I don't remember him really previously from that. Right. I do kind of vaguely remember him, but I feel like that was the point that I was that like you said I was surprised um, by just the response from the fan base from everybody that was you know. They, they were all hyping them up and it was such a crazy thing. Mm -hmm. So I remember that match being really fun and exciting. And I don't really remember. I remember him winning um, the uh, I remember him winning the title, uh, mm -hmm. the ECW championship um, or world championship uh, belt. And I just loved how um, like you're saying he, he was he was the everyman. He was this cool guy. He just was super charismatic i feel like and that just lended to his entire persona of this like straight edge um kind of a different kind of baby face character than i feel like we were getting previously with like john cena and um a few other people during that time so yeah i, I can't think of anything particularly um i kind of did fall out uh from wrestling about after that time when he kept going on but right he was one of my favorite people to watch uh, to your point, I remember when they were chanting his name in Philadelphia for that match. <laughs> they did a, a shot of uh, they had the camera on him and he turns to DX or the Hardys and he just goes, you can hear him say or see him say, that's me as they're chanting his <laughs> name. 
So that was really, I think, his introduction to a large portion of the casual audience. And obviously, if he's getting that type of reaction from a hardcore fan base like Philly, that's somebody that's probably going to do something uh, with his wrestling career. So from there, uh, as you mentioned, he was indeed uh, the ECW champion. We're going to cover some of just his general highlights um, from 2006 to 2011. But he was ECW champion for a time. Uh, He did eventually wind up being called up to the main roster, uh, which, again, the main WWE roster for some time now has been you're either performing on Monday Night Raw or on SmackDown. They keep moving SmackDown around on which day it's on, so it doesn't do any good to say it's a particular day. But uh, (laughs) one of those two shows. Um, From that point, he was also tag team champions for a time with Kofi Kingston. Uh, Kofi, still to this day, is a WWE superstar um, and has gone through his own journey, but uh, they were a team uh, for a little bit there. Punk also feuded with William Regal for the Intercontinental title. Regal is quoted as saying, that feud was the best thing I've done on WWE television in terms of wrestling. And Regal was never a top star. He was never the face of the company or anything like that. But he is one of the more respected and revered veterans, you know, in WWE. So for him to say that about Punk was definitely high praise um, and, you know, something that sticks out to you. Punk was a two-time Money in the Bank ladder match winner. Um, We covered this a little bit on our last wrestling show, but just so people know, uh, typically in wrestling, a ladder match is a little different from a regular one um, beyond the fact that people get hit with and jump <laughs> off of the ladders. Um, but the object is usually to retrieve a championship title or titles um, that is suspended above the ring. Uh, the money in the bank ladder match is different in that there is a briefcase suspended above the ring. And in that briefcase is a guaranteed contract for a WWE championship match at any time that the winner slash recipient wants to have that. So, And Punk did indeed do just that um, by cashing in his money in the bank successfully on two different occasions uh, to win the World Heavyweight Championship. Now, despite being world champion, um, he was never the guy or the face of the company. Uh, It's important to point out here that WWE has long featured two world titles in their, in the same company, which I know is hard for some people (laughs) to wrap their minds around and even me too sometimes. Um, But they've been doing that for a while now. And they, on both of those occasions, clearly favored the one punk did not have. He was just basically a guy who they gave the belt to for a little bit to hold before giving it to somebody else. He did eventually, uh, because throughout, you know, this time period, he was a fan favorite, but he did eventually turn heel. um, And as you might remember, he was a heel when he was leaving Ring of Honor. So it's, I think, something he had experience with. 
and always something that for him, I think suited his character a little bit uh, more naturally than being a baby face did. Not that he was a bad one. He was good either way, <laughs> but some guys just really find their groove or comfort zone in one or the other. And I think in his case, heel was always you know, his most natural form. So he turned heel and had a memorable feud with Jeff Hardy uh, for the World Heavyweight Championship and then moved on to also feud with The Undertaker. Afterwards, uh, he formed his own faction, his own group in the WWE called the Straight Edge Society, where he basically became a cult leader and was championing his straight edge lifestyle as something that made him stronger and better than anyone who did not follow that lifestyle. And he began recruiting members to this society to basically save them and, you know, <laughs> introduce them to his, his cult. And in doing so, he became the most hated man in the company because not only do people not like it when they feel like this guy's, well, he thinks he's better than I am because his lifestyle's different. So you know, screw him. But they really don't like it when you kind of make a mockery of organized religion. And so those were, you know, just two birds, you know, you know, two, two birds, one stone. And he, was the top heel in the company during that time. He wasn't pushed that way, but he very clearly was getting more heat than anybody else. So all in all, through this time frame, he was a workhorse. Um, he was always a presence on WWE TV, constantly making the best storylines he was given and putting on great matches. But WWE never pushed him as a top guy because he was not what they typically look for. He didn't fit that larger than life superstar mold that is usually their go-to when they're deciding who they want, you know, the who they want the poster boy to be of yeah. their company. I was to say he yeah, cuz I mean, during that time during the time I was watching in high school and stuff like that, I mean, even to this day, like uh, John Cena was huge and you know he does I feel like their personalities are so different that it kind of just showcases what you know they kept pushing John Cena for a very long time as you know one of the main ca characters of uh, the the ideal you know superstar and CM Punk isn't that person even when I remember him being a heel uh, and even that time he wasn't he, he still didn't i feel like play as the same type of heel that we normally see i feel like his his prowess as a actor is so vastly different than i feel like uh, a lot of these other guys are not to say that they're bad or anything it just seemed to come very naturally to him and really the only guy who's ever truly broken you know the mold of the typical superstar and managed to be the top guy was Steve Austin. And there are a lot of factors that go into that. Um, but even Steve was not around for, for that long before they kind of went back, you know, into their comfort zone of, you know, who they typically want to see in that spot. Moving forward, did you have anything else 
that you wanted to talk about or react to before we move on? I don't think so. Um, I just, maybe you can help me understand a little bit more then and potentially it like, why, like, is there a particular reason you think that the organization kind of pushes these types of characters, these, um, or doesn't, sorry, reverse that doesn't push these types of characters that punk kind of embodies and showcases is, do you, do you think there's a reason that they do that behind the scenes or what? You know, I think when you're talking about WWE and why they make particular decisions or why they tend to push a certain type of wrestler above anyone else and always go back to that. We're always, what we're really talking about is an audience of one man and that being Vince McMahon. And I think if you go back to the entire you know company's history, that he's always just, it's what he thinks works the best in that spot. And it's his preference is to have just a very, you know, a larger than life superstar who, you know, can, you know, be, you know, a main event guy and, you know, always, you know, uh, fill, you know, what he thinks, you know, this, you know, a person like that should, you know, be able to fit a particular mold. So, and sometimes, you know, he'll, there have been times where he's pushed to do something different or somebody just breaks through so well that he has no choice to kind of change his pattern or his habits or deviate from that a bit. But he always goes back to that. And if, you know, you've been watching WWE, you know, for a long time, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But yeah, I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's it's always what Vince wants and Vince will usually make happen what he wants. Gotcha. I mean, I know you briefly talked about that last time that it was kind of like he'll show up the day of and tell people like, you know, uh, nope, this is the script we're doing today. We're not doing this one. Yeah, that's so that's a normal Monday in, in WWE, I think. Yeah. So, OK, that, that, that answers my question. I figured it was something like that, but I just, you know, as, as you as a bigger fan, I wanted to kind of get that confirmation type thing. Sure. So our next stop is June 27th, 2011. And I want to preface this with even I was not a huge fan of the product at this time. I, I found it to be very cheesy and tough to watch on a weekly basis. And although I was still keeping an eye on what was happening and maybe watching some highlights, I was definitely not, you know, anywhere close to catching every show or, you know, every pay-per-view or anything like that. But at this point, uh, Punk is fed up with the politics of WWE and of being passed over in favor of less deserving wrestlers. His contract was set to expire in mid-July. And as far as he's concerned, he's good as gone. He had told WWE the year prior he was not interested in re-signing with them. So they think, you know, this is pretty much the end of his time there. Interestingly enough, his last angle before, you know, leaving 
was going to be a bill towards a WWE title match against John Cena. So it's this kind of bizarre thing that they do where they'll finally give somebody a little bit of shine as they're about to leave the company and not work for them anymore. So I think people will wonder, well, why didn't you do this earlier, which is valid. (laughs) It's also simultaneously a bit of a wrestling tradition dating back to, you know, the eighties when everything was more territorial based and WWE didn't have such a monopoly over uh, wrestling on TV was that when a guy was finishing up, you know, in one territory, he would then, you know, put over or lose to the guy who was going to replace him as the top person in that territory. And then he would leave so that uh, it's just, you know, kind of a traditional wrestling exit. So a little bizarre, but also, you know, a little traditional as well. But anywho, uh, ahead of his WWE title match against John Cena, Uh, which again was going to be his last one with the company. WWE allows Punk to air his grievances in an unscripted promo to close an episode of Monday Night Raw, which this is unheard of because they never just hand a guy a microphone and say, hey, (laughs) why don't you go out on live TV and tell everyone all the things you hate about working here right now and just get it all out especially on Vince McMahon's show. Um, So Punk proceeds to unleash a scathing six-minute promo, outlining all of his frustrations with the company and how they book their shows and run their product. Uh, One of my favorite lines from this, uh, as he's speaking to John Cena, there's one thing you're better at than I am, John, and that's kissing Vince McMahon's ass. On Vince McMahon's show, he was able to get that out. It is henceforth known as CM Punk's pipe bomb, uh, making him a hero in the eyes of frustrated fans. Punk himself adopted the moniker Voice of the Voiceless for advocating for change in a bland company. And this also gained him mainstream attention from national media. Uh, One of the best reactions to this pipe bomb was from Steve Austin, who said, CM Punk just melted my 52-inch TV with a scorching hot promo. Delivery, (laughs) content, and attitude, one of the best promos I've ever seen. It goes without saying that if the arguably the biggest star ever in the company, particularly one who was also known for his prowess on the microphone, is giving you that type of praise. I mean, that's, you know, just speaks for itself at that point. Moving forward to July 17th, 2011. Uh, This was to be Punk's last show at the Money in the Bank pay-per-view where he would have his match with Cena. I drove down to Red and Jerry's, which is at the time was in Inglewood, Colorado. And Y'all remember this place, Michael, but for those who don't know, Red and Jerry's was a very odd place. It was part an off-track horse betting place, I believe, uh, (laughs) part family restaurants, and also part like arcade and birthday party 
you know type place as well yeah it's um, kind of like a uh a, a local dave and busters kind of type thing yeah As, yeah it's like if you're trying to think of something that but like know. but like a rundown <laughs> dave and <Yeah>. Busters, <laughs> if there was one so um but they would screen live events for ufc and wwe there and it was typically cheaper than ordering on pay-per-view so that's you know what we did sometimes so i drove down there uh to watch the show which again i rarely did back in those days but this was the first for me and for a lot of other fans the first truly must-see wwe show in a long time there was no word on punk's contract status ahead of time so no one had a clue what was going to happen um you know, I think a lot of people assumed that he was probably not going to win because they thought he was leaving. But for once, you know, especially in the age of the Internet, they did a very good job of keeping everything hush hush leading up to that, uh, which added to the intrigue and the suspense. Uh, and of course, fortunately enough, the show took place in Chicago, which was CM Punk's is CM Punk's hometown. Mm -hmm. And he received a massive ovation from the audience and had the crowd 100% behind him the entire time. Punk and Cena had an absolute classic, um, delivering on the hype with a 40-plus minute banger of a match, um, which vindicated Punk in a way because he was also calling himself best in the world, best wrestler in the world at this time. So... Uh, made good on that claim um and shockingly uh punk won this match uh he blows vince mcmahon a kiss at ringside as the audience goes ballistic and then he runs through the crowd with the wwe championship to end the show and it's most definitely you know one of the most iconic moments in his career uh, maybe his high point even with WWE and it's certainly one of the best memories I have of watching wrestling over the last 10 years and really can, my lifetime. Can I jump in here to, to prove that I did my homework? Sure. Didn't somebody uh, try to cash in their money in the bank match, uh, the briefcase at the end, and he like knocked them out before they even were able to, to ring the, the, the bell to start the match. So the, yeah, the, the part of the angle for this was Vince McMahon, Mr. McMahon, as he's known <laughs> when he's an on-screen character, was basically going to do anything to prevent Punk from leaving with the, his championship. So they did try and have the current Money in the Bank holder at that time cash in on him. Punk shrewdly was able to derail that plan, and then he just hightailed it out of there before they had a chance to put that in an action aren't you proud of me i did my homework i'm very proud of you <laughs> makes me all warm and fuzzy on the inside <laughs> so moving forward um obviously i think at this point the the cat was out of the bag that he had re-signed as vance would absolutely had never have let him leave the company with his championship in real life and has gone to great lengths to prevent that very thing from happening with another superstar in the past um but this was a rare occasion where wwe made the right call 
and capitalized on a hot angle to maximize its entry. And this is one of those points, Michael, where if you had any thoughts real quick, feel free to share those. Otherwise, we'll keep going. I mean, I like I said, I watched. So I know uh, Jesse sent me some videos to watch before this just to kind of feel like give me a refresher, which I do have to say I appreciate Jesse it was nice like kind of going in here with like um, I remember him leaving. I didn't realize there was so much. Uh, tied up in him leaving mm -hmm. um so i appreciate the like learning a little like being able to see that and and get a little bit more in my brain before we started this um, yeah but i think it, it's it's such an interesting thing that vince mcmahon allowed this to happen admittedly i know when the videos i was watching they were talking about like people saying they would riot if punk lost um in the streets and that was like a huge thing uh, that they were talking about because they were like, well, we don't want that to be a thing or we don't want that to happen. Um, and so it's just, it's an interesting thing. It's just knowing Vince McMahon and kind of how he runs it. Like this, it, you know, at least was smart of him to continue the, this hype train, this uh, enthusiasm, this fan support for something like this and really push it um, to what I think is like probably the limit of what had been done before. Yeah, I, I most definitely. And I think, you know, despite themselves, they are capable of giving us great moments as fans. And I think this is a prime example of that. Unfortunately, they are not so great at maintaining that good decision making and making sure that momentum continues to carry over, which we'll get into next. <laughs> so... Um, this will be our segue into kind of the last couple of years of his career um, from 2011 to 2013 uh, with WWE anyways. Um, but Punk indeed returns as a full-time performer shortly after. Um, now a full-fledged babyface slash good guy and easily the most over wrestler uh, over usually is a wrestling jargon for popularity. So when something's over, that means it's popular with the fans. So he's easily the most over wrestler in the company and the industry as a whole there. This is a white hot angle that's, you know, hasn't really been done before. It's the first time since John Cena's arrival in WWE and his ascension into that top superstar uh, position that someone outsold John Cena in merchandise. So Punk, you know, this little punk rock guy <laughs> that nobody believed in in this company is selling more T-shirts and merchandise than even John Cena. Despite all these accolades and accomplishments and the outcry of WWE fans who desperately want to see this guy push to the moon, WWE still refuses to make Punk the face of their company. Instead, Punk winds up back in mediocre, nonsensical storylines and is forced to resume putting other wrestlers over, wasting the best angle they had done in years. And a in words, it's it's classic WWE in that point. While he does eventually regain the WWE championship and holds it for more than a year, which is quite the accomplishment for anybody in the company, 
his main goal at this time is to main event WrestleMania, which is WWE's biggest show every year. Uh, and this would truly prove to Punk that the company believes he's their top star and that he's as good as he knows that he is. WWE does not put Punk in the main event of WrestleMania in 2012, which was reserved ahead of time for John Cena versus The Rock. So while we had a glimmer of hope that maybe things in this company we're going to change on the back of this just organically and massively popular uh, superstar. That was not to be. In mid-2012, uh, Punk is turned heel once more and resumes his spot as the top bad guy in WWE. However, he is forced to drop his championship to The Rock in early 2013 setting up a return match of Rock versus Cena in the main event of WrestleMania for the second year in a row. It's important to point out here that while a lot of fans were disappointed at that match main eventing WrestleMania the first time they did that, at the very least, I will say there was some general intrigue over who would win in a match between Rock and John Cena because John Cena beat everybody in this company. It, it didn't really matter who you were, what your accomplishments were. You know, prior to that matchup, he beat everybody. He beat, I, I hated that guy when, you know, we were, <laughs> when we were in high school because he beat all my favorites. But um, he, The Rock actually wound up winning that first matchup. But what was not good about running it back for a second year in a row, and especially when they added the championship to that program and, you know, The Rock was champion going into that WrestleMania, is that it became painfully obvious that Cena was going to get his win back and defeat Rock, you know, for the championship, you know, to reclaim his spot as the top guy, adding yet another feather into the cap of John Cena. So it just wasn't interesting. And, you know, Punk wound up being matched up with The Undertaker that year, um, which they had a great match. It was the, the best match on it, easily the best match on that show. He loses that match as well and has still not achieved his main goal of main eventing WrestleMania. It's important to point out as well that at this point, The Undertaker is a special attraction, basically. He doesn't wrestle more than a couple of times a year. He's basically a special attraction for WrestleMania. So the fact that you had basically your most popular guy in years come into, you know, this year as champion, and he's lost two matches to two legends who aren't around very much on WWE TV, it just basically was confirming that, again, they still don't believe in him as a true top superstar and don't have any, you know, any plans for him long term. He's, he's just there to make other guys look good, essentially, which is what they've used him as basically the whole time he's been there. Um, moving forward into SummerSlam of... 
2013, which is typically in August. Uh, Punk has another classic match with Brock Lesnar. Uh, perhaps, you know, the best match Lesnar has ever had. Uh, def- you know, I would say the same for Punk. But Punk loses yet again. Uh, marking the third time that year, he has had to put over a part-time wrestler who is rarely on WWE TV. In Punk's eyes, this torpedoes his credibility as a top star in the eyes of casual viewers and, again, proves that WWE doesn't have any long-term plans for him. Injuries have begun to take their toll on Punk at this point towards the end of uh, 2013. Uh, In no particular order, he has suffered injuries to both of his knees, including a strained ACL, a torn MCL, a torn meniscus, a torn PCL, patellar tendon. He has bruised his pelvis. He's suffered broken and bruised ribs, a concussion, and a giant mystery lump on his back. Uh, This is a good time to remind all the listeners at home that while storylines and outcomes in professional wrestling are very much scripted, the wear and tear that it takes on these guys and gals is most definitely not so um wwe's doctor diagnoses the mystery lump as a fatty deposit but will not treat it punk alleges that this doctor was lazy and was one of the most useless pieces of shit that he has ever (laughs) met in his entire life uh The medical staff instead pumps Punk full of antibiotics, which don't really do anything for him. And as antibiotics can make you do if you take too many of them, they caused him to shit his pants while performing live on SmackDown. He recalls feeling ill all the time and not being able to sleep uh, during this uh, time period. I vividly remember him looking pale and sickly and being concerned that there was something wrong with him because Mm -hmm. WWE doesn't disclose injuries to the audience unless it's storyline based or it's an injury so severe that that person has to take time off because they need to go get surgery and rehab. Otherwise they don't say jack shit about what these people are going through. Um, Punk later visits an outside doctor who tells him the growth is a staph infection and that he could have died from it if he hadn't gotten it treated. Ah, jeez. This is a good time for us to stop real quick and see if you have any, any reactions that you'd like to share real quick, my dude? I mean, it just, I know. So like I brought up last time, um, I've been kind of out of wrestling as a thing and uh, for quite some time now. And especially around the whole uh, recently with um, John Stewart uh, did a whole segment about it on his show. And <clears throat> I think that was John Oliver. On, oh, John, uh, why I say John Oliver? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah, John Oliver uh, did a whole thing on it. Um, and it just, it just, it's one of those frustrating things that 
when you hear a story like that, you just go, oh, cool. They don't care about who they're like, what they're doing, who they're hurting uh, as an organization, as long as it puts butts in the seats and it, you know, does what they need it to do. So, yeah, it's just uh, one of those frustrating things to kind of see and hear this type of situation just be like, oh, yeah, this was a, this could have killed you. And they didn't care. So. Yeah, not to get overtly political on what's supposed to be a fun show, but <laughs> yeah, WWE at its core is a prime example of why capitalism really sucks for the working man. Like, so yeah, there are many examples, you know, underscoring, you know, why why that's the case, unfortunately, uh, which WWE fans all too familiar with. So. But uh, moving forward, um, we're at January 26, 2014, and Punk is at the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. Uh, the Royal Rumble, of course, is one of the fourth of the big four pay-per-views that WWE does on a regular basis. It always features the Royal Rumble match, um, which is a 30-person over-the-top battle royal where the object is to eliminate uh, all other competitors by throwing them over the top rope and onto the floor. And the last person standing will win a championship opportunity at WrestleMania. I say person because, of course, a few years ago, uh, the ladies uh, got their own version of the Royal Rumble, which has been fun. But uh, at that year, uh, Punk was an entrant in the Rumble match. He wound up being eliminated by Kane, who choke slammed him through a table after that. So the guy has all these injuries, and then he has to take a bump through a table um, by one of the strongest guys on the show. Ow. Uh, fortunately, Kane has a reputation as being easy to work with, but still. Um, Afterwards, uh, Punk then has a meeting with Vince McMahon and Triple H. Uh, Triple H at this time is more on the behind the scenes uh, backstage side of WWE as opposed to being an on-screen talent. And Punk tells them that he is mentally fried, physically drained and injured, and creatively stifled. He does not love pro wrestling anymore and is completely miserable. Uh, Punk does not agree to follow through on any plans that those two have for him leading up to WrestleMania. He tells them goodbye. He hugs Vince McMahon. He shakes Triple H's hands and he walks out. He does not go to Monday Night Raw the next night and he does not appear on WWE TV again okay then yeah um and it was one of those things where he was i can't remember if he was advertised for raw the next night or not but at the very least you know we we thought he was going to be there because he had it hadn't been announced that you know he wasn't going to show up or anything like that and when that happens and then they report oh he just no showed it 
and he wasn't there when he was supposed to be, it's always a sign to the fans that, oh, shit, something's something's wrong there. You know, something's, something's going on backstage. Um, as a result of this, uh, WWE suspends Punk for two months as he is still under contract at this point. Uh, they begin stiffing him on his royalty checks and no one at management will communicate with him or give him an explanation as to why royalties as i'm sure you know michael but for the listeners are typically if you're part of something like wwe and they're selling your face or your name on something you'll usually get a percentage of uh the profits from that not too much because they still got a profit (laughs) off of it but you get some. Um, so they start uh, stiffing him on those checks. And then on June 11th of that year, uh, Triple H reaches out to try and touch base with Punk. Uh, Punk, who is marrying fellow WWE wrestler AJ Lee in just two days from when Triple H calls him, says he will connect with WWE after his wedding and honeymoon and again asks for his unpaid royalty. The day of his wedding, Punk receives his termination papers from WWE, citing breach of contract since January as the explanation for the unpaid royalties. Punk did not receive this explanation from anyone at WWE in between when he left and when he was fired. So he, this guy, the span of three years time went from, you know, being the most over guy this company had seen in a long time to now he's getting fired on his wedding day by that same company. Oh, geez. (laughs) He wound up filing a lawsuit against WWE and the two parties did reach a settlement and punk made it clear that he did get a lot of that money back that he did not receive uh, during that time period. To be clear, this sounds like a WWE storyline that they would like make up and put out there and it'd be like, you know, uh, 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 something they would, they would like script out. I, this does not sound real. I'm Sometimes what happens <laughs> behind the scenes is far more interesting than what they're giving us on their TV shows. Yeah, That's- clearly. Jeez. Yeah, just kind of the nature of the wrestling business. In 2015, uh, the WWE doctor who would not treat Punk, or that Punk alleged would not treat him or misdiagnosed him, files a defamation lawsuit against Punk and Colt Cabana, uh, a fellow wrestler. Um, They were friends, and Cabana had had Punk on his podcast, uh, The Art of Wrestling, in late 2014, where a lot of this information that I'm sharing with all of you was first revealed. Uh, The case went to trial in 2018, and the jury wound up ruling in favor of Punk and Cabana. So that was kind of the end of, you know, like really the the end of his working relationship with WWE. Uh, the The bridge wasn't burned at that point. It it was up in flames and <laughs> completely, completely uh, uh, turned to dust at that point, or turned to ash at that point. 
for the record, despite the fact that the largest wrestling company in the world was obviously not a huge fan of CM Punk, wrestling legends such as Harley Race, who had a big influence on him, Brett the Hitman Hart and Steve Austin have all spoken very highly of Punk, showering him with praise and more or less acknowledging him as their peer. So now that we've covered that little happy end note of his time in WWE, any any thoughts, anything you want to chime in with real quick? Dude, I don't even know. Like, I didn't like I knew that he was not happy with how he was treated. I knew he wasn't um, just what didn't think that, you know, he he it's very clear there was no love lost between him and wwe in the entire process so i mean it's just crazy to think that this was all coming out like after the fact and he would the who i think is like at least from his public persona and even in the, what i've seen from him, he seems like a pretty nice guy charismatic very you know considerate um i mean his messaging of like you know a straight edge lifestyle that's really you know it's a, it's a good message i feel like it's something that they they as an organization should get behind and, you know, kind of push because something you would like to see, you know, but yeah, it's crazy. I think, and this is a, a manner in which he's described himself as well, but I, he's one of those guys where, you know, if you're nice to him, he's great to you. Hmm. If you're rude to him, he's going to be rude to you. And in this case, you know, after all the sacrifices he had made for this company and after they had basically ruined something for him that he used to love to, I think, go so low as to, you know, fire him when he was getting married after they had just been kind of giving him the cold shoulder for months and months. Mm -hmm. And then he winds up in a lawsuit from this you know piece of shit doctor who obviously didn't know what the fuck he was doing you know it's just like of course you know there's going to be some bitterness and and hard feelings in that situation and i i you know maybe you know it was a little more stern coming from him but i i can't think of too many people who wouldn't feel a, a great deal of resentment if they found themselves in that same situation yeah absolutely i I struggle to think of anyone that wouldn't be like, oh, this company stiffed me on money. Then they, you know, fired me on, or they've been, they've been stiffing me on money. Uh, they fired me uh, on my wedding day, even though, I mean, admittedly, you know, he wasn't doing what he, the breach of contract thing. I, I kind of understand that. But even then, like the fact that they're like, oh, you breached the contract that we set up with you. We, we, we're not going to pay you money that you're owed. That's kind of a huge thing to me. Like that's something I just, it's, it's baffling that they're just like, yep, that's an okay route for us to take as an organization. Yeah. Like I said, you know, capitalism at its worst, unfortunately, but um, between uh, 2014 and 2018 um, punk for the first time in many years was able to pursue endeavors that had nothing to do with professional wrestling. He had a brief career in UFC 
Ultimate Fighting Championship, uh, where he went 0-2 in his time there and has not fought for them since. And <laughs> while that transition may not have been successful, I still credit him for having the balls to try something like that and to get in the cage or the octagon with these fucking, you know, more experienced fighters and, you know, at least give it a shot. So kudos to him. I, mm-hmm. I don't think I would fucking have the balls to do that. But um, Punk has also acted in some movies. Um, he's currently cast in the Showtime series Heels, uh, which coincidentally enough is a show about professional wrestling. <laughs> um, and he's also contributed as a writer for Marvel Comics. I know, yeah, he uh, was a co-writer on some Thor comics, I believe, and also contributed uh, to some of the Drax, the Destroyer comics as well. So basically, you know, he was able to do all the things that he never had time to do or wasn't allowed to do when he was working for WWE. So in November 2019, uh, Punk made a surprise appearance on the talk show WWE Backstage, which aired on Fox, and he later joined the show as a contributor. It's very important to point out here that his contract to be on that show was with Fox and not with WWE, so he mm-hmm. still had not reestablished a working relationship uh, with Vince McMahon's empire. Uh, it was great to see him um, just discussing wrestling again in a positive way and talking about you know some of the current superstars. And although he downplayed the possibility of an in-ring return, him being back in the fold in any form was nice to see as a fan of his. And I remember, you know, thinking, you know, because they would ask him about it and, you know, he would basically say if I'm, going to wrestle again. That's, that's a big bridge that has to be rebuilt. Um, so I, I didn't really have expectations that that was actually going to happen. But around this same time was also when all elite wrestling, uh, started airing their weekly TV show, uh, AEW dynamite. Um, and at the time as an unknown commodity, there was still a lot of skepticism, I think, around whether they were even going to be able to survive, you know, trying to basically do what many other companies had failed to do, which was provide an actual alternative in a landscape that is completely dominated and controlled by the WWE. But lo and behold, two years later, AW Dynamite is not only still on the air, but is continuously and consistently uh, the number one rated show on Wednesday nights. And we just started hearing these rumors about a month or so ago that CM Punk was bound and going to debut on AEW. And it was just one of those things where you know, this had happened before where they're all like, yeah, maybe there's these rumors that he's going to show up here in WWE or maybe <laughs> he's going to show up there. And he had just he 
anytime he came out and talked about his life or what he was doing or, you know, when they asked him his opinion on something, it was very clear that he still did not have that passion for wrestling that he once did. So even with this, you know, this new rumor of him showing up in a different company, which had found some success, I was still skeptical of, you know, and it was for a lot of other fans, you know, I'll, I'll believe it when <laughs> I hear his music and see him in that ring, essentially. But um, the show that they had just started airing on Friday nights, uh, AW Rampage, on August 20th, 2021, was set to have a show in Chicago. And they didn't advertise him for it. They didn't announce they had signed him, but they very subtly started teasing that he was actually going to show up and make his debut there. And sure enough, uh, CM Punk debuts on Rampage in Chicago to another massive ovation. And by far, probably the biggest reaction I've seen from a crowd since the last time he had a monumental occasion in Chicago. And you could tell um, just by his reaction, um, it was similar to when he was leaving Ring of Honor way back in 2005. And I think there's some justification to that, but you could just tell that he was, he was very emotional and that's, I think very touched by all the support of the fans and he gets on the mic and he says one of the things that stood out to me, um, if at all through my journey, any of my personal choices or decisions related to my life made you feel disappointed or let down, I understand if you all try to understand that I was never going to get healthy physically, mentally, spiritually, or emotionally staying in the same place that got me sick in the first place. And then to add to that, the other part that stood out, uh, he says, August 13th, 2005, I left professional wrestling. August 20th, 2021, I'm back. And it was a great, it was a great moment, even if, you know, who knows what will happen. But I mean, this alone was something that a lot of fans never expected that they would see at, at any point. So it's, it's just so great that he's back. It's so great that he's happy and that he wants to be there and that he very clearly is showing a love and passion for professional wrestling again and that this other company exists and that this was even a possibility for him in the first place and i think i'm real quick do you want to chime in on that any thoughts or reactions you had to that because that, yeah. that was part of your homework as well <laughs> yeah so i watched that and again it's um now, admittedly, I had watched like three videos leading up to that uh, kind of I, I don't want to say in his heyday, but the kind of in that the lead up to him kind of becoming incredibly disenfranchised, I feel like as uh, a person with the whole WWE stuff. 
was uh, watching him kind of go back to that exact same type of charismatic personality, the, the, the tone, the cadence of his voice, his actions. I mean, he did the whole like the, the cross leg sit thing mm-hmm. that I remember him doing when I was watching it. And it just was like, oh, we're, we're back. We're back to where um, we were before with uh this whole thing is like he he's back he's in a place where he feels comfortable enough to be able to do these things again so it was nice to see yeah absolutely man (laughs) and uh i think you point out a really good point you know that we're back because i think a lot of people who you know since he left wwe or you know for one reason or another you know, also became, you know, disillusioned or, you know, let down by what that company was doing and have kind of stopped following wrestling since then. They felt that same way, like, oh, we're back. Finally, we can actually start watching wrestling again and have a little bit of hope here. And I think that was just such an important moment for a lot of fans, you know, including myself. And that it's not like there's there's never been a scenario where someone has left WWE and when there's been a lot of bad blood or they've had an ugly exit, you know, from Bruno Sammartino to the Ultimate Warrior to Brett the Hitman Hart. You screwed Brett. You know, this <laughs> this this happens, you know, because that's just, you know that's how that company does business, you know, sometimes. And what I think I kind of held on to was, well, I don't know that he'll ever wrestle for them again, but those three guys all eventually did make peace with WWE and were welcome back. And while they didn't wrestle so much, you know, they were honored and, you know, received their hall of fame induction and at least were recognized for their contributions to the company and to the industry. So I thought, well, he's probably never going to wrestle for them again, but maybe, you know, I, I think, you know, that's always still a possibility that that will happen someday, you know, five years, 10 years, 20 years, you know, who the fuck knows. Mm -hmm. But it just was never an actual possibility that he could go somewhere else and have that passion for this thing he used to love rekindled until AEW came into existence and became a thing. And so I think for me and for a lot of other fans, his arrival in AEW carries far more weight than pretty much anyone else's arrival in that company could have because of what he represented and because of the circumstances in which he left that industry and profession in the first place. And so it's, it's like the first time in a long time, my dude, where we as wrestling fans don't feel like we are beholden to the shoddy booking, the, the mistakes, the, the, the extreme pettiness of WWE. 
and that for the first time there is an actual viable alternative that, well, not perfect and certainly is still working on ironing out some things of its own, is at least a company that wants to give these guys a platform to do what they love and, you know, make them, you know, help them to do the same for the next generation. And so I think to all the, to all the casual fans who have been spurned by WWE, to all the waywards out there, I would say, you know, tune in on a Wednesday night sometime and, and see what CM Punk and AEW are up to. And you might like it and you <laughs> might not, you know, who knows. But at the very least, we feel that this company is actually going to be one that is legitimately trying to learn, you know, learn from its mistakes and continuously improve rather than the giant corporation up in New York that, you know, is very much set in its ways and has become so profitable. They don't need to, you know, the, the fan reception to what they're doing doesn't really make a difference on their bottom line. So why would they ever change anything? Really? Yeah. So, yeah, I think, that's my that's my spiel on all that. Uh, so I thank you for sitting down with me and allowing me to share this with you and with our listeners. And Michael, did you have any any last thoughts that you wanted to add before we, we jump into our last bit here? No, I don't think so. Past really, I remember uh, you brought up. I want to say I can't remember when it was, but it was, it was recently when we were hanging out with the. Our group of friends and um we brought up the fact that cm punk had returned and i feel like we were all um a few of us and i can't remember exactly how the conversation came to be but i do remember that i think one of our friends ryan was actually surprised by it and i was kind of in the same boat or i think i had seen something and i was like yeah it's crazy like i thought he i thought he was out like totally and it was just kind of shows you um just the impact he had where between being, you know, between him leaving and between him you know, subsequently, you know, coming back, it uh, showed us just like, you know, who he was. And as a person in this, in this entertainment industry and just how important I feel like he is kind of as a, he, he's one of the greats type stuff. He, he really does let us know what he, uh, <laughs> where he stands, I feel like. So. Yeah. Most definitely. Most definitely. Uh, CM Punk is wrestling his first match on AEW uh, this Sunday, uh, September the 5th at AEW All Out. Um, so for those who are curious, uh, there you go for that. But um, before we wrap things up here, I did quickly want to, as Monty Python would say, and now for something completely different. Um, <laughs> I did really quickly want to pay tribute to the late, great Ed Asner, uh, who passed away uh, this week after a very long and successful life and career. Um, and Ed Asner, I mean, he 
was 91 when he passed. So he really did, uh, I think, live his best life. Um, but this was a guy who I think whether you knew him um, from the Mary Tyler Moore show um, or a Western like El Dorado, if you knew him as Santa Claus <laughs> from Elf or from one of the various voices that he did in animation, animated superhero shows, or even uh, as Carl Fredrickson in Up. The truth is, I mean, a lot of people knew him for a lot of different things. Um, and I, I was surprised, kind of surprised to see he's the most honored male performer in the history of the primetime Emmy Awards because he won seven of those. So, I mean, that's, that's fucking incredible. <laughs> but, um, he's, uh, he had a great quote where he said, a lot of people know me for a lot of different things and that's okay. But I hope the one thing I'm known for is that I try to make the world a better place. And he absolutely did, man. He's, you know, he has his own nonprofit organization um, and has you know, gotten involved um, in some political activism and, you know, some other things. So he was a good dude, uh, obviously uh, very accomplished in his profession. And given this is a show about, you know, the content <laughs> we consume, I certainly consumed a lot of things that he was in, you know, while he was alive. So you now he, he will be missed. Yeah, I, yeah, he's a great guy. Um, or, you know, he, I, you know, he brought joy to us. how many, you know, how many people throughout the, you know, world and years and stuff like that. I mean, mm -hmm. he's, he's pretty awesome. Um, I'll actually put one of uh, my favorite uh, <laughs> moments, I would say, I guess, um, of him. It's it's pretty great. I think it's uh, from a documentary on voice acting um, mm -hmm. or, or animation, I should say. Um, and I think it's I, yeah, so, yeah, it's from uh, voice actors. And I think it's like the voices that we grew up on or something. I'll, I'll see if I can find it before I publish the episode, but I'll I'll post the link to the video I'm talking about. And it's it's pretty great. He, he it captions, you know, in the bottom corner, like all, um, <laughs> uh, you know, introduction say it's not like Ed Asner and it's like voice actor and it like puts parentheses up. And then um, so he goes, hi, I'm Ed Asner. And then like flips out a switchblade at you as the, at the camera. So it's just a funny little thing that he does. So, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's anytime I think of him, that's that's I, I go right to that clip because it was it, it, in the sequence of the documentary. It's so out of place, but also it's so great and wonderful. <laughs> yeah, dude, he he really was one of a kind. Um, and yeah, I, he touched, you know, countless people you know, during his career. And he, I think, absolutely did make the world a better place. And, uh, you know, couldn't have couldn't have you know, lived his life much better than he did. So yeah. that's somebody that I think should absolutely be appreciated. And of course he will definitely live on because God damn, he was in a lot of freaking things. So, Oh yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> we're talking, he started his career, I think like in 1960, the early 1960s. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, and was in things up until let's see a lot of pro, pro post-production stuff, but I mean, he was up he was doing stuff until 
you know, this past, uh, past year and even was in certain parts of things that will be coming out in 2022. So, yeah. yeah. Terrific. Terrific. Well, mm-hmm. I just wanted to make sure we got that in, but yeah, I think, I think I'm good, man. I think I've talked myself <laughs> out over this, this hour and a half or so. Perfect. Well, um, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, appreciate the, um, episode Jesse and leading it. Uh, my day was kind of busy. So, uh, I was actually very happy that you kind of were taking the lead on this one because I was, uh, quite tired when I came home from work. So we'll wrap it up here. Thank you so much for listening to hit the reel, the podcast where we talk about the entertainment that we consume and what we really think about it. Please feel free to share this uh, episode out with anyone that you know might be a huge CM Punk fan or a wrestling fan in general. Um, That way they can also let us know if we got anything wrong in this episode. I don't think we did, but hey, we only grow by learning what we don't know. We get this podcast out weekly, uh, usually published on Saturdays or Sundays, depending on uh, the editing I'm able to do over the week. And uh, let us know if there's a topic you would like us to discuss, or even if you uh, think that we got something wrong, um, please feel free to email us at hitTheRealPodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's hitTheRealPodcast at gmail.com. In the description of this uh, episode, I will also include our link to Patreon. Please take a look at that if you'd like to support us, grow a little bit more, um, as well as that uh, Ed Asner clip I was talking about. Thank you again for listening, and like always, hey... Keep it real.